This episode of Stuck in the 80s has been brought to you by... I am the monarch of the sea. The 80s Cruise. Find out more at the80scruise.com. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. <laughs> Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Come back to me. I have a question for you, sir. Shoot. Is time travel possible? That is a question. Say, Richard, that's me. Thank you. I would love to walk with you and talk with you and get to know you and not be afraid of you and resolve everything. Say yes. Yes. One o'clock. Mm-hmm. She's crazy about me. Rather handsome young man, if you'll manage. Is he the one, William? Is he? Only you can tell. That's it. without it all my life. Is it any wonder then I failed to recognize you? You brought it to me for the first time. Is there any way that that I can tell you how my life has changed? Any way at all to let you know what sweetness you have given me? There is so much to say. Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today, get out the hankies and grab someone you love, because it's time again for our annual Valentine's edition of the podcast. And this year, we're honoring the movie Somewhere in Time. Ah, good evening, Miss McKenna. You don't know me, but you will. Here to defend Somewhere in Time, she's our own Elise McKenna. It's Carol Jansen. There is so much to say. I I cannot find the words. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, here to take the cheap shots at the movie, but in a respectful manner to the legions of female listeners out there. And by legions, I mean three. But anyway, the legions of female listeners who love this movie, Brad. Anyway, if we had to assign him a character in a movie, who would it be, Carol? Would it be the villainous William Fawcett Robinson? Or would it be the good old harmless Arthur? It's Brad in L.A. But who am I? 
Am I Arthur or am I Christopher Plummer? At this point, we don't know. Oh, I, I, I mean, if I get a say in the matter, I want to be Christopher Plummer, which probably means I don't get to be Christopher Plummer. You want to be uh, the dick? Well, Christopher Plummer's awesome, man. Are you kidding me? <clears throat> anyway, I would have been on time for this show, guys, but this cougar came up to me and handed me a swatch and said, come back to me. And it <laughs> took me a while to fill out the police report. <laughs> If you do not walk with me, I shall go mad. Possibly insane. I do crazy things to myself. For those who don't know, who have been trapped under a rock for the last 36 years, uh, Somewhere in Time is a 1980 uh, romantic fantasy drama film. It stars Christopher Reeve as a uh, uh, unlucky in love playwright who um, ends up falling for a actress, what, from 60 years ago? Falling for a picture of an actress. And uh, convinces himself he must travel back in time to meet her. Someday in the past, he will find her. It is June 27th, 1912. Oh, boy. You are lying on your bed in the Grand Hotel, and it is 6 p.m. in the evening of June 27th, 1912. Your mind accepts this absolutely. It is 6 p.m., on June 27th, 1912. Elise McKenna is in this hotel at this very moment. Her manager, William Fawcett Robinson, is in this hotel at this very moment. Now, this moment, here. Carol, you this was your idea to use this for this year's Valentine's show. What what your what draws you to this movie? I believe back in November of last year, you got a reader mailbag from Christian Lopez. And he was talking about time travel because you had done a Back to the Future show. But he, he mentioned that as being one of the underrated time travel movies. Uh, and that's where you're possible de- to underrate this movie. Your debate came in with Drew. Hi, Drew. And talking about how the Y, you know, chromosomes and all the. It's a great time travel movie, but it's a better romantic movie. So that's why it's perfect for Valentine's. Now, traditionally, we have kind of a mixed history here with Valentine's Day on Stuck in the 80s. It's, um, we've had our uh, Love Stinks episode for Valentine's Day <laughs> um, that I'm particularly fond of. We have had uh, – last year, though, I think we had our best ever Valentine's show. Because it was Carol giving us the best and worst duets of the age. Oh, the duet show is, is epic. I know. Epic. So- you know what, guys? Save yourself the time and the frustration of listening to us talk about this horrible movie and just go listen to that again. <laughs> well, Carol did such a good job, though, <laughs> that we have total faith in her to defend uh, Somewhere in Time, which is a movie I happen to love as well. Let's just kind of start at the beginning so you understand how this came to be. Richard Matheson is the author of the book, Bid Time Return. It was published in 1975. He is a famous science fiction writer, um, I think Shrinking Man, and he's done some, some other, anyway, science fiction pieces. So he was in a opera house in Virginia City, Nevada, and he saw this framed picture of this actress, Maude Adams. But he saw this and he thought, oh, how he was just caught in her eyes. And he thought, wow, what if, because science fiction, he thought, well, what about traveling back in time? And what if I wanted to travel back in time for her? And so that's um, when he wrote that book, Bid Time Return. It's a similar story. It's 
staged in 1896 instead of 1912, but it was that photo of that actress that he wrote the book. So then a few years later, Stephen Deutsch read the book and and contacted Richard Matheson asking, you know, write me a screenplay. You know, I'm a movie producer. Let's let's see if we can get something going here. Promise me I can do it. Yeah, he did a lot of other screenplay work, too. Like he wrote some episodes of Twilight Zone and um, uh, yeah, he wrote um, he adapted his the short story Duel into the one of Steven Spielberg's first movies. I know. I love that movie. What Dreams May Come later with Robin Williams. Did you guys see that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Richard Matheson, science fiction guy. So he did that. So then Stephen Deutsch got the the screenplay and he presented it. He somehow got together with Geno Schwarz and he had just, that director, Geno, had just finished Jaws 2. And oh, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess a gig is a gig, right? Oh, oh Jaws too. I was he, pretty decent. That was movie. successful. It was quite successful. I'm not you saying know. it wasn't a successful movie, but it's not. No one's going to accuse it of being art. Okay, so he he saved Universal's ass on that movie, and he said, "Okay, you guys owe me." So when he got the screenplay for Bid Time Return, he thought, "I want to do this." So. He proposed it. He got it approved, but they cut the budget in half. So with a low budget, they thought, okay, we want to do this. How can we do this? So scoped out, you know, it's it's set in, in the book at the Hotel Del Coronado in San Diego. So they went out to San Diego and they looked at it and go, no, 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 there's too many antennas. There's, you know, wires and, you know, it just doesn't look right. Yeah. So one of the yeah, produ- you producers. You couldn't just post back then. Yeah. So one of the producers saw in a, a book about, you know, Hotels of America, the Grand Hotel in Mackinac Island, Michigan. And that was, it was just so perfect because it lives it's in, in its own little time capsule. It was built in 1887 and it's. It does not allow motorized vehicles, so there's bicycles and horse-drawn carriages. So it was a perfect fit for a time piece. Yeah, and it's a it's a beautiful set. It, yeah, you know, they, they they nailed that. They absolutely nailed that. So they thought, okay, who can we get as our leading man? Christopher Reeve had just finished Superman, and they thought, oh, he's a perfect tall, you know, handsome man, and so they thought, well. Would he be interested in it? Well, he's he's a Juilliard actor, probably interested in doing something where he can show his acting skills versus his action. So they they were able to get him interested in the part. Um, Does Juilliard have special classes for over emoting? Oh, Brad, you're going to poo poo this whole show. <laughs> Given to the fact that people love this movie. Well, it's not it's not universal. It's not universally loved. No, I'm not going to poo-poo the whole thing. I'll just poo-poo lots of parts of it. For the names considered for the main roles, Richard Collier, get a load of these. Richard Dreyfus, Dustin Hoffman, John Travolta. Can you imagine? I can't imagine Richard Dreyfus. No. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're looking for the, you know, the handsome, I mean, Christopher Reeve is a good-looking man. There's no two ways about it. Uh, 
and I, I don't think that those other the first two that you mentioned have the physical presence to pull that off. Like, mm-hmm. can you imagine Richard Dreyfus chasing after Jane Seymour? She'd bat him away with her umbrella. <laughs> Travolta no. would have worked out. Travolta, Travolta I think Travolta could have pulled it off, but he's he's not as you know he doesn't have that kind of presence. Yeah, for William Fawcett Robinson, Steve, you'll love this. Max von Sydow. Ooh, that would have been good. Would have made the movie better. Even Brad would have liked it. <laughs> I like Christopher Plummer, so he's yeah. great. Yeah, um, he's underused. Actually, I think he he needed more more scenery to chew. Yes. Anyway, there was a conflict last minute, so Max had to pull out. He's probably um, busy on Flash Gordon. That's true. Come to think of it, after the earthquakes and tidal waves, they won't be quite the human beings you remember. They'll be more tractable. The other lead, Elise McKenna, they they. You know, made a casting call. Uh, Jane said that she saw in one of the mags looking for a girl to star opposite Christopher Reeve in a romantic film somewhere in time. Must be over five feet five. Anyone under five feet five need not apply. And she stated, I'm five feet four. I thought, I'll be damned if there's going to be an inch that stops me. So in her casting interview, the directors and producers asked, Have you ever been in love? And so of all the actresses, they spoke with she was the only one that said no they were looking for that really? mystery that you know just that 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 thing that that makes you fall in love with her and she had it you will marry me won't you <coughs> sorry <You won't? laughs> sure <laughs> i was just laughing at the way you asked this all. some of the uh actresses that they considered for that role you'll You'll die. Diane Keaton, Deborah Winger, Meryl Streep, Leslie Ann Down. <laughs> Not just, the same. No, it's just this is a movie in my mind where the actors are as important as the story. There's a chemistry they have. Yes. And it was when the directors saw Christopher and Jane sitting there, you know, after auditions and such, they saw them laughing and they said, they are the couple. They are the ones. Tell me more about yourself, my love. Well, what sort of plays do you write? Um, are there any parts in it for me? I could. Oh, I would love to act in one of your plays. Assuming that I ever want to act again after tonight. You will. The other character in this movie, besides the hotel, Richard and Elise, is the music, and I, I have to say that John Barry is one of the most brilliant composers. So when John Barry saw the film, he had just lost his parents. So he was going through a low point and he said that it was that emotion that allowed him to write such a deep heartbreaking score that that accompanies the movie. Do you guys, can you remember any of the other films that John Barry has composed? Well, he's pretty famous for the James Bond scores. Another couple of romantic scores he's done is Out of Africa. Are you saying James Bond isn't romantic? He's Mr. Romance. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Out of Africa. Um, Okay, Midnight Cowboy. (laughs) Another romantic movie. Yeah, well... (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, he's written so much stuff. But the one that I remember, as a child, I watched this movie, and it was the music that I loved, Born Free. Born Free. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget Howard the Duck. He did Howard the Duck, too. And The Golden Child. Dances with Wolves. I mean, obviously, he's fantastic for that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. To accompany that, they were going to have Mahler. And John Barry said, no, no, no. That's Go with Rachmaninoff's. Mahler Rock- is way too dense for a casual listener to get into. Yeah. Take it from me. <laughs> and, and he thought, no, Rachmaninoff has this playful piece. It's got the movement that they need to go with the film. So John Barry, Rachmaninoff, it's perfect. Well, it's funny you would say that because I did notice when I watched it last night that um, – Sitting next to his record player is a Mahler album. And I turned to Katie and I said, oh, this character is a serious classical musical snob if he has a Mahler album up front there like that. Yeah, it was it was originally going to be there, but John Barry said no. Yeah, there's not a good theme you can whistle in a Mahler symphony generally. <laughs> well, here, try this. So you've made a really strong case. And I know Brad's waiting to weigh in on this, but I want to I want to start first by saying what I think is so great about this movie. <clears throat> the thing I like about it, I remember seeing this for the first time I think on cable because I watched it mm-hmm. with my sister, who is four years younger than me, so we saw it sometime probably in the mid eighties. And I don't I can count on one hand the number of movies I remember watching with my sister. Huh. Uh, Major League is another one of them. <laughs> I was going to say one just came up, but I don't remember what it Major was. League. That's funny. So we watched it, and we were pretty into it. And I mean, uh, the ending though just destroys her. Destroys your, her. She doesn't complete your sister. The, yeah. Oh yeah, this is the best part. There's a special coin compartment for emergency. Richard, Richard, Richard. And so to this day, if you mention uh, Somewhere in Time, she'll like start yelling at me for like subjecting her to a movie that made her so upset and cry so much at the end. Oh, now see, I have a totally different – I do too. I think the ending is a happy ending. No, see, I – Are you high? The-, the man starves to death in his hotel room. Well, he has to. He, he, that's the only way he can get back to her. Is it? He, he, I don't know. He, I mean, he, look, can't, he, traveled he cannot go back. Or he can't do it again? It's a one-way ticket? I, th- I think it took too much out of him the first time he did it. So rest up. Jeez, oh, take care of yourself, I, Christopher Reeve. You're cut. Go do some, do some workouts. Get yourself back up to it. And go back to the room and lie down on the bed. Get a better suit this time. I don't understand. Nobody seems to like my suit. How can you blame them? Oh, wait a minute. I think my suit is terrific. I mean, what's wrong with this? I don't care. So what if it's 10 years old? Oh, at least 15 I saw the movie in the theater. I, it was on such a low budget. It went for a wide release and was only out for like three weeks. But I saw it in the movie theater with my mom. It didn't really get roots until it hit cable, and that's when it becomes, became such a cult classic. Right. Exactly, which is my point. I would not have gone. Yeah. Nobody would have taken me to see that in the theater in 1980. And you wouldn't have thought if they'd offered. 12. Well, maybe you would have because, you know, hey, sure, a movie. Yeah, <laughs> movie's a movie. Um, <laughs> no. I, I think what, what bothers most people about this movie 
is, and I have an answer for this. A lot of people, the whole time travel premise that they use in the movie is mm-hmm. pretty far fetched. But even the director, because I watched the director commentary earlier today, admits good, good. that admits that yes, it it's it's the weak link in the movie is the yeah. But if you're going to buy the premise, you know, if if you're in, you're in, right? Right. You, know, you can't. You got to let that I mean, go. But the DeLorean makes more sense. I mean, none of it makes right, sense. Right. It's a Come fantasy. On. It is a fantasy. Yeah. Of course, you can't do that. But. You, you didn't come to the movies to see something you could do. You can't. Right. I mean, that's where you go to physics class for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, so that's that's. Then the fact that, of course, I mean, not. I mean, spoiler alert. You know, he. <laughs> he uh, Thirty-six years later. Thirty-six-year-old you know, movie. I he, think we're uh, good. You know, he obviously he succeeds in doing it. He get he gets to go back in time and and they spend what I think it's only a couple of days together. Two, yeah. or th- two or three, until. He comes across a penny from 1979 in his suit, and then that's the thing that suddenly triggers and pulls him all the way back to modern day. And I'm like, I love it. I love, I love the concept, but yet, you know, there's still this certain, you know, neurons firing in your brain that say, well, wait, 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 but wait a minute. Well, I got to say, he's got really good vision if he can at arm's length pick out the date on a penny. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I there's a shot where the camera kind of zooms in on it. I'm like. You know, the premise is it's from the future, so you don't have to know it's from the future. You just have to see it. I mean, he uh, knows he's from the future. I, I would think that you would snap back. Uh, he would have snapped back to the future at any given moment. Yeah. Professor yeah. Finney said that you rid your mind and your atmosphere of anything from the future. Remember that book? Sure. Travels through time. Yes. Travels through time. <laughs> so there was nothing in 1912 that would trigger his reversal but that penny was the one thing yeah it vanished but see i argue then okay so he comes back obviously he's destroyed he tries to go back again he can't quite do it and then he he sits down in the same chair that at least mckenna sat at in the, at the end of her life and they they both die looking out on the same view from their hotel room and then he meets up with her guy i don't to me it's like the ending of um <gasps> it's so schmaltzy oh, oh my gosh it's like it, but it's supposed to be yeah i mean here's the thing if if you saw Give this then the and you have some fondness from it from the 80s then you know you're gonna enjoy it because you have that connection to it but if you come to it now and see it the pacing is really slow i mean that's just how they made movies so that's that's, that's kind of how it is the pacing well, is slow the, the it's very broadly played the emotions are very broadly played the story is very tropey um but like, like i said if you if you have that connection to it from then from somewhere in time in the 80s then i think you're going to have fond memories for it i if you watch it now for the first time it's going to i was laughing at the end of it, I was laughing. There is when he stretches out his arm. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> hysterical! It's hysterical. There, I, I'll give you, and we've well established on the show that there are certain movies that you cannot from the '80s that you loved them, but if you saw them now for the first time ever, just, they don't work. They don't work. Don't. I I find it hard to believe that this would be one of them. But I will concede that, hey, you had that it's reaction. It's, it's possible, Steve, that I am a completely soulless bastard. You know, <laughs> that's an option, too. Well, here's, here's, here's the dead giveaway. You watched it last night with your wife. Yeah. And she didn't like it either. 
she fell asleep. <laughs> and then when she woke up, she woke up to watch the last half of it. And Katie's line to me, she looked at me and said, this movie did not make me feel amorous. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it was too late. But, but listen, you can make the all time the travel you'd like, it just didn't work for her. Well, okay. The time travel in this film was specifically done without special effects. Right. The director wanted no special effects. He wanted it to be sweet and pure and simple. That it was just his concentration and his will to go back to see the woman whose eyes captured him in that photograph. Because don't miss in the storyline that that photograph was taken when she was looking at him in love. Oh, yeah. No, that's a cool touch. So that's, very, that's a nice it's little one of the best. So oh, that's seeing when he was walking, you know, denied lunch, you know, not we're not open yet. He's walking through the Hall of History. He is pulled like a magnet to that photograph. He he, yeah, he stares at it for a good solid 45 seconds, which is a long time in a movie. And when and when they filmed it, Christopher Reeves said he did not want to see the photograph prior to that moment so that his. Oh, you know, his his enraptured, you know, gaze at that picture was was genuine. And Jane Seymour is quoted in the director's commentary as as talking about taking that photograph. The photographer said that it was a very special technique and I had to look in a special place and then it would look as if I was looking at whoever was in the room at any angle. I have no idea how he did this to this day. And everyone was so intense because we hadn't started shooting the movie yet. I mean, this was sort of one of the major parts of the performance was that picture. If that picture wasn't magical, if it didn't summon you in, then the whole movie was kind of pointless. I love that photograph. Um, what's, what, I'm going to concede this right now. I have a poster in, in the lair in the main living area of Somewhere in Time. And on that poster, it has, you know, you can see her, like an illustration of that portrait of her. And I proud, I, I, I fly that uh, freak flag proudly. <laughs> I, and, well, I have and the same just a hopeless Steve. romantic, Steve. That's well, good you know, it's, it's funny you say that because, I mean, it was a gift from my girlfriend. And she and I have our own kind of like, like, whereas the Grand Hotel is the setting for their romance um, with, with my girlfriend now, we had our own hotel played a character in our wooing and that was the Brown hotel in Louisville. So I'm fond of uh, movies that make hotels uh, into major characters. Yeah. I have and, that. And there's no doubt Steve. that is a big character in this movie. I the, mean, it would be is fantastic. It, it's the only reason I would ever want to go to Michigan would be to see the grand hotel. Yeah. And you know, our eighties fan, Kevin Wench actually visited the grand hotel with his wife. I think it was in August of 2014, and he posted pictures on on the the Facebook page. I'm so jealous. You know, he got he got to go there and see it, and it's really cool. Yeah, I'm sure that the hotel has seen some, you know, has benefited from that association over the years. Oh, big deal! Because oh, there's only a, from the annual convention, which I'm sure must take place there. There, there is one. Um, there's a there's a summer in time fan club, of which 50 percent are actually men. Just, well, just saying. Yeah, Jane Seymour, saying. duh. <laughs> it's more to this movie than Jane Seymour. Yeah, you're but, right. There's, uh, a, there's a really nice Fiat in the first. Oh, few you're so, you are a heartless old bastard. 
Just listing my favorite characters: Jane Seymour, the Grand Hotel, and the Fiat. Oh, and Brit- and, and Christopher Plummer. Oh yeah, he's great. The rat faced bastard. <laughs> I didn't mean to call him rat faced, but he is a bastard. The <laughs> um, his parents were married. So well, I guess well, last year was the was the thirty fifth anniversary of the movie, and yes. they, and they did have a really big gathering, and uh, Jane Seymour was there. For and it. she looks she looks as beautiful as ever. Oh yeah, no no question. She re- recreated the dress and got on stage and did the soliloquy again, and it's just magical. Carol, I've got a question for you. Yeah, uh, maybe you can help answer this. The pocket watch that uh, Elise McKenna gives to Richard Collier at the beginning of the movie and says, "Come back to me." Yeah. Um, where does it come from? That's, yeah, that's that's one of my questions too. <laughs> that's that infinite circle. It's 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 the ongoing theme of the movie. I think the yeah. circles. There's a circle. Yeah. That her portrait is in a circle. Her smile is because she sees him, and he's and he drawn falls to it. Love because right. he sees her. Yeah. yeah. So the pocket watch is kind of. I'm sure if we were like f- film majors or we had a degree or we were critics. We might be able to read something more into it, but I, I, I'm just going to assume an object that is that doesn't have a, a well, much like the time travel itself, it doesn't have a logical explanation. The watch just appears; it's in her, her possession, and then it's in his possession. It's in her possession because he gives it to her, but then she gives yeah. it to him. You know, like you say, it's this loop. Does it? And does it take you on can't added? Untangle. Does it take on added meaning because it is a watch, and because it, a watch keeps time? Ooh, there you go. Deep. <laughs> I have layers. <laughs> Onions have I mean, layers. layers yes. of, I mean layers of fat. I have layers Parfait. of fat. Parfaits have layers. Um, it's the parfaits that gave me the layers of fat. <laughs> wow. We've come, come full circle again. Uh, I, Eeyore had to show up eventually. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while okay. since we heard from Eeyore. But, okay, uh, Steve. Oh. Okay. But doesn't I, – I just can't get over the emotion of the movie though. When Richard comes back after the penny, I I get a lump in my throat and my eyes well up. Ha, Brad, have you never gone through that kind of pain where you just where were, I time traveled and woke up all sweaty in a really old suit I've been wearing for four days? June twenty ninth, nineteen twelve. June twenty ninth, nineteen twelve. I'm back. I'm back. Oh, of, heart, of, of, course heartbreak. Heartbreak. of course, I've been heartbreak. Of course, I've been heartbroken. And, 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 and I feel bad for him, but I never was so heartbroken. I guess I, not to that level. I've never so heartbroken that I decided not to eat. No, but he. I, that I've never, just shows. I've never how, had that problem either, actually. Well, yeah, <laughs> but no, you. The feeling of the emotion behind it, the the depth of his love and just willing to be with her. And then the flutes come in and the strings, the cellos, it's just. Well, let, let me stop you for just a second there. The the willingness to be with her is, I, I just think he ought to put more into trying to go back again rather than just giving up and be like, well, that won't work again. I think, I just think it's this, 
I mean, he knows it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work the first time until he knows it works, right? He sees his name in the book, and then he knows. Oh, wait, I am supposed to do this. So he knows it will work. But maybe he, but maybe he also knows that maybe he was supposed to come back. Maybe, uh, mm-hmm. and that there's no proof that he stayed there. Just that one register. So what you just said is this is this makes the movie completely hopeless. Everything that's going to happen is supposed to happen, and you have no control over any of it. So well. I... In this particular instance, when you when you anytime you start talking about time travel and the consequences of it and stuff like that, I think uh, you know there's several directions you could go. In this one, it is it would be my theory. Up until now, I'd always kind of believed that he was just too devastated to to, to summon the energy to go back. But the more I think about it now, the more I think maybe he maybe there was part of a realization on his part that. The only direction he could go was... It was only supposed to last for three days. That's all he was ever going to get. And even his professor basically said, even for him, it only was a flicker of an instance. So he had three days. I mean, you can't go your whole life in self-hypnosis. I mean, that's just... Yeah. In my mind, he, he, he was devastated upon the realization he just can't go back. It's like uh, Moonlight Graham in Field of Dreams. There's no reason he couldn't have gone back over the baseline and still... Well, play- you know, the, yeah, the rules of the universe are what they are. We don't really right. get to say that. We don't get to state them, and maybe that's just a piece of it that we're not well, the, the, privy to the exact ho- details. And that's okay. They don't have to explain everything Ho- to us. Hollywood's rules of the universe are – they are what they are. This is this was the vision of the writer and the screenwriter, and oh, yeah. this is what we have. I, I cried like a baby when he comes back. I cried this morning when I watched it again. So, no, I, um, I but, guess but I'm just a but, heartless bastard. But I, but at the same point, I find relief when he does die, and he has that smile on his face right as he passes away, because he's with her again. Yeah. So, you know what I'd like to time travel and do right now? The seggies. Ah, uh, the mystical refrain of reader mailbag. Um, here's a new one. Uh, we had a letter this week from Kevin in Atlanta, Georgia, pretty much a brand-new listener. And so he wrote in last week, and he left us a nice note. Brad, you have the honors. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure, Mr. Spears, to help you with this small matter. Today's letter starts, Hello, 80s Nation. I'm Kevin Thompson, someone who recently discovered your absolutely amazing and fantastic podcast. I like this guy. I graduated from high school in 1988, so this is the perfect podcast for me. The witty repartee between Brad and Steve is interesting on a number of levels, and I really enjoy the guest co-hosts because they all seem to each add something interesting to the show that they are part of. I particularly enjoy Carol Jansen, Hmm. fan, because we have a lot of the same taste in music, especially when it comes to 80s duets, and Drew, because I enjoy listening to his voice. (laughs) I wonder if he was a radio DJ in a past life. He is the music guru. Maybe he'll be a radio DJ in, a, in the current life. Who knows? He does have a great voice. He does. I actually subscribed to your podcast about three months ago. However, I didn't start listening till about three days ago. I enjoyed it so much that I went back and downloaded several older episodes. As of the writing of this email, I've actually listened to 12 podcasts in the last three days. <laughs> Pick it up, Kevin. Come on. You could do 15 in three days if you just focus a little on it there. Uh, self-hypnosis is the trick there, Kevin. Self-hypnosis. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and yes, before you ask, I do have a life. However, I have more of a commute than most people. I'm blind, 
and I use a public transportation service that takes me from one destination to another. Wow, interesting. Thanks for making the 80s cool again. I'm forever stuck in the 80s with you, Kevin in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. Oh, that's great. Yeah, what a nice letter. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. As always, we appreciate your letters. Just remember to send them to sit80s at gmail.com. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. Uh, you know the drill here. We'll play a snippet of a movie from the 80s, and if you can get it right, you are entered into the drawing for a Stuck in the 80s bottle opener. Or if you're really lucky, maybe we'll have some leftover swag from the 80s cruise, and we'll, maybe we'll send some of that out. Uh, pay attention. Here's our clip from last show. My philosophy is to sleep late, drive fast, and not take any of this shit seriously. Yeah, that's Space Camp, uh, the clip picked out by uh, Beth and Turkey, who will be joining us on the 80s cruise. Uh, because, and as people were paying attention, they would know Beth works at Space Camp Turkey. It was a shocking pick. It was a clever, clever. She, she did at least pick a pretty obscure line from it. So that, that stunning return to form. <laughs> Brad, read some of the winners. Winners this week include Kevin Serving Wench, Rob Busy Shoveling Snow Stroh, Kurt in Dirty, probably also Snowy Jersey, Tom If It Bleeds, We Could Kill It in Austria. Carol Jansen, bing, 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 bing. Steve Crosby, David, not the voice of Jinx, Banach, 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 Banach. Achwell, Achwell. <laughs> and Ryan Lahui. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. You owe me a year's worth of lunches. If you know it, email us at sit80s at gmail.com or... Steve in the 80s at gmail.com or Brad in the 80s at gmail.com or uh, we don't have a Carol in the 80s at gmail.com, but we could do it. That's okay. That's okay. You don't want a stalker email? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I jest. I jest. Hi, Carol. <laughs> I really like it when you talk on the show. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, the mystical refrain of name that '80s tune. Um, you know the drill. We will play a snippet of a song, 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 song. Ah, well, from the '80s. If you can get it right, um, again, you're entered into the drawing for the Stuckinese ball opener. Uh, pay attention because here's our clip from last show. That's so far away from Dire Straits. So far away from me. So far, I just can't see. For the record, by the way, uh, so far away, uh, Dire Straits also included on the soundtrack to Space Camp. Uh, You know, I'm sensing a theme here. Yes, that's the end of the theme, but that's interesting nonetheless. Uh, Brad, read the winners. Winners this week include Rob Jones in the UK, Joshua in Birmingham, Tim Danner, Rock the Good Egg, John in Phoenix, Dr. Dim, Gary in Gilroy, Russ from Newton, Timmy Williams from Camp Crystal Lake, Illinois, Steve Crosby, Alex Sticks Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico, Scott in New Hampshire, Peter Ryan in Montreal, Edward in El Paso, Bonnie in Minnesota, Steve Ramos, and Anonymous Dave in Texas. Do you guys notice that of all the people who won this week, uh, Carol and Bonnie are the only two females? That's interesting. Is it? Well, it that's just goes to show. The, you know, we only have seven female listeners. We're losing them. 
Just just like we lost Bowie and Glenn Fry. Losing our listeners. Um, oh, now I've gone dark. Brad, spin the wheel and find out who won the bottle of And the winner is Steve Crosby. Excellent. Our friend from Las Vegas. Steve Berger. Steve Berger. Steve, send us your snail mail address, and we'll get right on that. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at the above-mentioned email addresses. And then tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. Uh, we'll be right back after this commercial break. Enjoy a vacation all the world on Monopolis. You've never experienced boredom like this. Relax. Regenerate. Rewind. Look at them. One is real, the others, machines. Now I have to find out which was which. What is the planet of your origin? Your mother liberates your ant farm. How do you feel? Feel? Do you take comfort in having a nightlife? Night, night. Nothing. So I offered each a diet cola. Thanks. No thanks. Cinnamon gum freshens breath longer than Big Red. So kiss a little longer, laugh a little longer, stay close a little longer, longer with Big Red. That Big Red freshness lasts right through it. Your fresh breath goes on and on. While you chew it, say goodbye a little longer, make it last a little longer. Give your breath long lasting freshness with Big Cruise back to the 80s on the first ever 80s cruise. Seven days in the most radical party to ever hit the high seas with a totally awesome lineup of artists that define the sound of the decade. Join Huey Lewis in the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool and the Gang, A Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, Wang Chung, and Jessie's Girl, the ultimate 80s party band, and the original MTV VJs, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter. As we cruise to exotic ports of core like Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and the private island of Half Moon Key, we're going all out by building an 80s video game arcade with Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, and of course Pac-Man, showing movies like Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink, and there'll even be a VJ contest. Don't forget to pack your best 80s looks because we're having a prom night, a movie costume party, pajama party, and neon beach party. You can't miss this. Sailing from February 28th through March 6th, 2016 for the most gnarly vacation ever. For more information, log on to the80scruise.com or call 844-384-8080. And we're back, and we have just a few minutes left to talk a little bit more about Somewhere in Time. Yeah, this is this is one of my all-time favorite movies. Such such good memories. Um, I was talking with one of my friends several years ago and talking about – I knew her daughter, and we were talking about Somewhere in Time. She says, well, that's why I named her McKenna. Huh? It's like, oh, connect the dots. That was <laughs> – I just thought that was really cool. That's a good name. And then – few years ago, my very good friend, Mel Doy Fawcett Robinson, 
we were sitting around watching a girls' night, watching the movie, you know, just having a quiet moment. And she leaned over and she said, I tried that. Really? And, and it was, we both just looked at each other, like cracking up laughing because it was the, the hypn, you know, hypnotizing yourself to go back in time. But now, now we will text each other. Just those three words. I tried Is it that. You? No. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's something I grew up with and, you know, maybe you guys were too young and. I don't know. It's go just, ahead. Say oh, it. no, I love it. Soulless. No, the romance, no. the romance of Jane Seymour looking at Christopher Reeves and just that whole falling in love so true and pure and and so strong that it it takes life to come between you. That he didn't want that. He wanted to be with her. It, it's. I don't know. I just, I just think it's a truly romantic movie, and I think it's perfect for Valentine's Day. Yes, Brad, it's schmaltzy, and no, it doesn't hold up today, but love is timeless. I think it holds I up. Can't today. argue with that. I cannot I'm, argue I'm, with. That. I'm not, I can never argue with Carol. Um, you know, if anybody ever wanted to try the whole self self hypnosis to get back to the '80s, I think the lair would be a good place to do it. You wouldn't have to change a thing. <laughs> You're going to offer up the, the a, yeah. a, a time travel room? You just lay down behind my couch and just stare up at the uh, Somewhere in Time poster or look over. Uh, when do you uh, think that building was built, though? They could travel back in time and then break their neck falling from free space. Mm. You know, there. this is, this is a, a side comment, but Christopher Reeve was interviewed after, after his – you know, his accident. And he said that there was one time when he went into anaphylactic shock and he had flatlined and he had actually experienced the rising above the body looking down. And he said, oh my God, when he, you know, and they gave him a shot of epinephrine and, and he, he was revived. But he said afterwards, he said, that felt like somewhere in time. And it's oh. just, it's just bizarre. But I I think it's I think it's great. I love it. I think there's only one way to prove who loves the movie most, and that's with a trivia quiz. Okay. Carol, do you got some questions for us? I do. I actually I actually took this off of the official Somewhere in Time website. Here's the first question. To be completely convinced, what critical tool makes time travel possible for Richard Collier? Is it A, a cassette recorder, B, his costume? Or C, the hotel register? I know the answer. Do you know it, Brad? Well, I'm, the cassette recorder is what he uses to kind of self-hypnotize him, help self-hypnotize himself. But I don't think he believes he can do it until he sees his name in the register. Correct. Right? Right? Correct. Answer is C. So that's kind of a trick yes. question. I yeah. appreciate this. What is the name of the play Elise's company is rehearsing? Is it Too Much Spring, Wisdom of the Heart, or strumming of my heartstrings. Uh, it's B, wisdom of the heart. True. Uh, too much spring is the name of Richard Collier's play at the beginning of the movie. Right, and that's where Elise comes out of the shadows. What is Elise's hotel room number? Is it four sixteen, four seventeen, or one seventeen? Well, I know it's not one seventeen. It is one seventeen. It is one seventeen. Oh, His room number is 416. Oh, shoot. I'm an idiot then. 
Why would she get a first floor? I mean, just being out of practice. She's a woman. She shouldn't be on the first floor hotel room. Because <laughs> they probably you – know. That wasn't You're safe so back in that wasn't, wasn't safe, safe back in 1912. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be down on the lobby level. It would be up one floor, I guess. But she could hear the horses coming. And it was a simple. It was a simpler oh, time, right? I, can't I mean, he believe slept on a couch on the front porch of the hotel overnight, and no one ch- chased him off. I don't yeah. think that would be. Yeah. that's the most unbelievable part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, the security at that place is terrible. It's really bad. Um, okay, go ahead. What's the next question? What's the name of the coin shop that Richard visits? Is it Lamont's Coin Shop, Baxter's Coin Shop, or Brimley's Coins and Curiosities? That that last one sounds like it's straight out of Harry Potter. So I'm going to say that's not it. Uh, Brad, do you know? No idea. Baxter's. It, it's a, yes. It is a clear shot when he's walking through the town. He he sees past the the church, the library, and he finds Baxter's coin shop. One other little thing I'll add here that the director said in his commentary on the DVD, that to make the time look different, they used different film stock. So in the current day, in the 70s, they used the Kodak, the Kodachrome, the the high contrast film. But when they went back in time, when they were shooting in 1912, he used Fuji film. Which had a softer, yeah, it's very gauzy and, almost. It's almost yeah. like they, they've stopped down the the cameras a little bit too. Yeah, he looked at Seurat paintings, and and it was just that whole feeling. You can totally see that when they're they're out on the the grass lawn. Uh, okay, back to the quiz. What is Arthur's last name? A. He doesn't really have one. B. Matheson or C. Beals. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark and say Matheson. Brad, do you have a? I have, I have no clue. Okay, no clue. Matheson. It's mentioned, it's mentioned when he's che- he's mentioned when he's talking to the, his dad. Yeah, it it is Beals. Oh. He, um, Matheson is the name of the author. Oh, jeez. Speaking of the author, where is Richard Matheson's screen appearance billed? Is he the astonished man, the stagehand? Or the stage manager. He had a small cameo in the film. That's nice. I'm, I'm going to say he's the stage manager. That's a total guess, though. I'm going to say he's the stage hand. Actually, he is the astonished man. <laughs> because when, when Richard comes out of the communal restroom after shaving with a straight razor, he has all these... Yeah, that's ridiculous. He walks around the whole day with paper <laughs> on his face. What kind of a man is he? Jeez, so, come on. Take a little care. Okay, so just like you, Brad, he was he was he said, "Oh, astonishing!" and he walked in. So that was that was Richard Matheson, the author. Oh, okay. And he I, walks I, around all day with this hot woman, and he's got half a box of Kleenex on his face. What's wrong with him? What year did Arthur first come to the Grand Hotel? Was it 1905, 1910, or 1912? Nineteen ten. Yes, nineteen ten. What college did Richard Collier attend? Was it Cornell, Millfield, or Mackinac? Millfield. Millfield, yeah. Millfield. What is the title of the book Laura Roberts said Elise read over and over? Bedtime Return, Travels Through Time, Time Travel Made Easy. I was sure it was Time Travel for Dummies. but Yeah, I was about to make the same joke. (laughs) That's not fair. Or D, Time Travel for Dummies. (laughs) No. Uh, I think we all know it's travels through time. Travels through time, yes. 
Where does Richard go first to find Elise when he arrives in 1912? Does he go to her hotel room, the theater, or the lakeshore? He goes to her hotel room. Yeah, because he remembers the number from the register. Which you got to admit, that wasn't the smoothest move. Yeah, the thing where he's walking around the building, like kind of practicing his pickup lines. I'm like, are you 12? Like, have you ever talked to a girl before? You don't know me, but you will. Be cool, bro. You don't know me, but you will. That's not. uh, Or else. At least he didn't use that one. I'll give him credit for that. But But the walking around practicing it out loud. Well, I I still think going to a hotel room, bad move. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Didn't work out. So finally, what time does Richard check in at the Grand Hotel? Is it 6 o'clock, 9.18, or 11.20? It's uh, 9.18. Do you have a room here? I will. (laughs) Actually, 11.20, if you'll recall, that's the time on the watch when he he opens it at um, too much spring. From the old Elise, and it's also when he opens the watch again uh, later in the film when he shows it to young Elise. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the correct answer is still 918, right? I can appreciate that kind of consistency, but I wouldn't have noticed that if I watched this movie. Yeah, I would not have noticed that. That's that's really interesting. Okay. So to me, two of the happiest words in the movie are, Richard! (laughs) The happiest because... She screams that when she's out on the lawn and he's on the porch yeah. and they and they get their romantic night together. And that was filmed so beautifully, you know, just the the gentle lace and the candle. You know what? I, I got to admit, the first thing that went through my mind when I saw that again this morning, mm-hmm. fire hazard. <clears throat> you know what I thought was abdominal controls because he lowers her down so slowly. I mean, that's he's got core there, man. Yeah. Well, he's super about 20 seconds. Well, clearly. <laughs> and then, of course, the lift, bro. <laughs> then, of course, the saddest when she cries that when he finds the penny. Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't remember the first Richard until I saw it again today. That that was odd that I missed mm-hmm. that like the first ten times I saw this. Okay, so this was kind of a prerequisite when I was dating. <laughs> What was? Have you seen this movie? <laughs> to watch this movie? To and watch enjoy this it? movie with me? <laughs> my did, my husband loved it. So like how he's a winner. Did, did, did a lot of guys just feel like halfway through, it's like it's been nice knowing you? Or? No. Yeah, did, did, you ever, did anyone ever fail the test? Did no. Anyone, did anyone watch it and say this Maybe is... Maybe they faked it, but... <laughs> huh. But... That's a good test, though. Speaking of tests yeah. I want to fail, I hope I failed that trivia test. Yeah, no, you you, I, don't want, I don't want that to be on my permanent record. You did surprisingly well for someone who doesn't like the movie. Well, I just watched it last night because I wanted to rag on it from a place of knowledge, not a place of ignorance. I can't believe I got the hotel room wrong. <sighs> well, thanks for putting up with it, Brad. This isn't Brad in the 80s. It's stuck in the 80s. So <laughs> I tried to be respectful of the material while expressing my thoughts. <laughs> you did a good job. And I'm really impressed that we had some some pretty interesting conversations about, uh, you know, the physics and the time travel nature of the movie, and the, and the whole time space continuum and the interruption of the the timeline. I thought that was pretty good, good stuff. And the love. And the love. So, uh, 
it's not too late. You can. Pro- I don't think Somewhere in Time is available for streaming, but I think you can rent no, it on you iTunes. It. You, you too can, can go back in time and stalk some hot actress. <laughs> yeah. Or or I'll let you borrow my collector's edition DVD. <laughs> yeah, I have you surely DVD. wouldn't entrust that to the U.S. Postal Service, <laughs> though, would you? No. Just don't put a penny in there. Whatever you do. No. Oh. And I I have the whole Somewhere in Time book. Oh. The the book written by the fan club leader. It's all the behind the scenes stuff. So right. I'm sure I'm there's addicted. so much more. There's so much more we could talk there about is. this movie. But uh, can we talk some more about the Fiat? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Carol, thanks again for joining us. It's always great when you're here for the Valentine's Day show. Happy Valentine's Day. And uh, Brad, you heartless bastard. I'll work on that. I'll see you soon on the 80s cruise. In the meantime, we hope you remain here with us, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly. Uh, You know what? Hey, you guys, I got to go. I just found a penny from 2027. Ah! (laughs) Bradley! Bradley!